0: okay
1: hello everybody welcome to this podcast where we talk about food health sustainability farming cows and more I'm your host Apeksha and I will take you through this journey through several stories and just stories today we're going to talk about polycystic ovarian syndrome you must have heard about this online in news or common posters outside doctor's offices Here's some stats according to an article published in 2021. 22.5% of women in India have PCOS, or for better understanding, one in every five or one in every seven women in India have PCOS. PCOS has become a very common hormonal disorder that is affecting a major majority of urban women because of lifestyle habits and the food that we eat. Today on this episode, we have with us Anushri, also known as Coach Noosh. She is an amazing mentor, coach, and a fellow sister who has helped lots of people change their nutrition, lifestyle, and habits in a sustainable way to heal PCOS and the symptoms that follow with PCOS. Hi, hi, Anushri.
0: How are you doing? Hi. Hi. I'm doing well. Thanks. Hi, everyone listening. Hello. OK,
1: so I'm going to like jump right into questions. So for our audience, can you please explain who you are and what you
0: do? Sure. Um, my name is Anushri Mahajan. I am a specifically I'm a health and life coach, but I focus on PCOS. And I help women with PCOS reverse their symptoms and do this naturally through nutrition and lifestyle changes. So my focus is really on helping you change your habits, your nutrition, and your lifestyle in order to manage PCOS long-term without medication, without uh, dieting and restriction, and kind of going against the general advice that we're given. by the world today, by doctors, by uh, content we see online, by nutritionists, by you know the medical community. Um, so my approach is really about trying to address this holistically in a way that's going to be sustainable for you. Because PCOS isn't a temporary condition; it's something you have to learn to manage lifelong. And that doesn't mean it has to be hard, but you can't take medications lifelong, or at least you could, but. I wouldn't think that you would want to. And uh, you can't be dieting and restricting lifelong. And I also don't think that you would want to. So um, I sought to solve this problem and try to find a way to address it in a way that I would like to manage BCUS. And now I'm teaching other women to do the same.
1: You're doing some incredible work. I've personally been very invested in what you do. And I must say, um, I really love how you approach sustainability and health together, because it's it's often an angle most people forget about because it benefits them personally in several ways. But I absolutely love the work you do. And thank you so much for being on this episode. Uh, I'm deeply grateful that you're here.
0: Oh, thank you so much for, for having me on. And I really appreciate you saying that.
1: Thank you. Okay. So um, online, there are several versions of what PCOS is. How would you define it and how does it officially get diagnosed?
0: So PCOS is a both a metabolic and hormonal condition. This means that it affects your metabolism, your thyroid, as well as your hormones. And there's usually, you know, severe hormonal imbalance. So whenever there's any condition that impacts your metabolism and hormones, you're going to have a range of symptoms that literally from head to toe could be anything and everything. Um, And how it impacts you is going to be different, which is why it's called a syndrome, because there isn't a specific definition of what PCOS looks like. And if you have PCOS, and you know other women who have it as well, you might notice that there is that difference between the symptoms that you have, the symptoms that they have, what might trigger their PCOS, what might trigger your PCOS, what is the root cause of your PCOS. Um, All of these things differ amongst women with PCOS. And so there's no like exact definition to say that if you have these symptoms, that means you have PCOS. It's very diverse and very varied and Different women have different severities. Some are more severe than others for whatever reason. Um, And of course, your lifestyle impacts um, how severe your symptoms are gonna be as well. Um, So that being said, there is a generally accepted way of diagnosing PCOS. And I think it's generally accepted worldwide, though in some places and among some healthcare providers, it might be different how they determine and diagnose PCOS, but generally what's accepted is called the Rotterdam criteria. And that criteria basically says that there are three things, of which if you have two of those things, any two out of the three, then you can be clinically diagnosed with PCOS. And those three things are one, high levels of male hormones or androgens, specifically testosterone, but it could be other male hormones like DGES. two, irregular menstrual cycles or amenorrhea. Amenorrhea means no periods for a prolonged time. And three, if you have cysts on your ovaries. Now, cysts are more so follicles is what they actually are. Uh, Cysts are a little different than what the cysts that we're referring to in PCOS are. Basically, in PCOS, you have these follicles, which are unmatured eggs that aren't able to be ovulated, unable to be released because they're not fully matured and they're not fully matured because of your hormonal imbalance. And so what happens is that they are never released and they just kind of get to a certain size and they just sit on your ovaries. And so if you do an ultrasound, you can see that there are these little cysts all over your ovaries and, or these little follicles all over your ovaries versus a big fluid-filled cyst, which is also something that happens to women due to hormonal imbalance, but this is not those aren't the cysts that we, were, we are talking to or referring to when it comes to PCUS. So these are the three things, high levels of male hormones, irregular menstrual cycles, and uh, cysts on your ovaries. So to test for high levels of male hormones, um, you would do a blood test. However, the symptoms that you experience due to that are very telling of high levels of male hormones, things like acne, facial hair growth, hair loss, and it also contributes to irregular cycles. And then of course, you are the one to know if you have irregular cycles or if you're not getting your period at all, right? Um, So if you don't get your period at all for three months or if it's very irregular in that, maybe it'll be 45 days this month or 60 days next month and then 20 days the next month, you know that's a sign of irregular cycles. And then to test for um, the cysts on your ovaries, it's going to be to have an ultrasound. Um, so this is the way that you would be diagnosed with PCOS if you have two of those any three. Mm,
1: okay, that's uh, that's very informative. Online, there are several versions of what it's. It's a very uh, uninformative, uneducated, not uneducated, uh, but yeah, uh, you see <laughs> symptoms and you think it fits your criteria all the time. But yeah, you put that really well. That. It's not it's not a definitive syndrome, you know, you can't define it and everyone worries, which is true.
0: Okay. So- yeah, and, and just to sort of hop on off of what you're saying, I mean, I think it it's it's it can be very important to get a diagnosis, even just for yourself, to know that, oh, there actually is something wrong with me, right? And so just getting that confirmation can be really helpful, but also know that it's not necessary for you to get an official diagnosis, to start taking steps to make changes in order to improve your symptoms. Because you can have lots of symptoms and diagnostic testing may not verify that and thus you may not be diagnosed. And because of that, women some women can even take 10, 15 years to get diagnosed, right? Um, PCOS is a syn- uh, syndrome that As time progresses, as you don't do anything about it, the worse and worse and worse it gets. And so even if you have a few symptoms to begin with, you might go to your doctor and you say, oh, I think I, you know, I'm, I think I'm kind of having irregular cycles or or something doesn't quite feel right. And your doctor kind of waves it off and says, oh, it's not a big deal. Right. Um, But over time, you're just, if you don't address it, you're just gonna, it's just gonna keep getting worse until maybe it's five years later. And now you have full-blown symptoms. You go to the doctor and you say, okay, I have all these symptoms and then you're officially diagnosed, right? So what I'm trying to say is that you might have some level of hormonal imbalance and you can start taking steps to make changes in your lifestyle and your nutrition in order to improve those symptoms. Because if you just let it go and you just let it wait and wait and wait, I'm not saying it's going to necessarily become PCOS, but it's just going to get worse over time, right? So my philosophy is is not to just wait for a diagnosis in order to make changes, in order to to start doing something to improve your health, right? Um, The minute you feel like something is not right in your body, um, see if you can do something about it.
1: Yeah, That's, that's a very important takeaway from this. So I want to know a little more about your journey with PCOS. When did you get diagnosed and how was your journey?
0: Sure. So I was officially diagnosed when I was 15. And from the time I hit puberty is when I started seeing symptoms. Um, but I think I was only a diagnosed at 15 because at that point I hadn't had my period for about six months or so. And my mom really saw that as a red flag. And she thought that we have to go to the doctor and we have to see what's going on. So that was when I went to the doctor and luckily the doctor knew about PCOS, which this was, you know, 15 years ago, which PCOS wasn't as well known. even today, unfortunately, there might be some doctors out there that don't even acknowledge PCOS's existence. Um, so 15 years ago, uh, to find doctors who, who were well aware about PCOS, knew how to diagnose, knew, knew what to do about it, that was kind of rare. So I was lucky enough to, to see a doctor who knew about PCOS. He saw my symptoms and he kind of was able to point, point it out right away that this is probably PCOS and I'm going to do some testing for it. And so, through the tests, I was officially diagnosed with PCOS. Um, unfortunately, you know, I was given the advice that is actually still given today, which is really sad. You know, this is again 15 years later uh, from when I was diagnosed. And the advice was to take hormonal birth control, to lose weight, and to diet and exercise, um, to cut carbs, and, and uh, you know, the, the general advice that is given even today. Um, And as a 15-year-old on hormonal birth control and, you know, told that I could potentially struggle to conceive in the future, that was actually, that made me feel very helpless and very hopeless. And back then, the internet wasn't full of information about PCOS. Um, There were no content creators. There was no alternative information about how to manage PCOS. And so I kind of, just had to stick to that advice that doctors, the doctor gave me. And yes, I tried, I tried to lose weight, but if you have PCOS and you struggle with weight, you know, that it's very difficult to lose weight, um, by just focusing on weight loss, by just diet and dieting and exercise, because that is not addressing the root cause, right? The root cause of your PCOS is a metabolic and hormonal condition. And oftentimes when you do extreme things to diet and exercise you are actually making those things worse so you might lose weight um, or you might not even lose weight you might even gain weight by doing those things right so it's a very complex um condition that is still not being addressed in the way that it needs to and uh, back then i just was i kind of gave up you know i was like i'm in school i'm i'm just trying to figure out my life and for the next 10 years or so i kind of just avoided and masked my symptoms as much as i could you know i kind of just forgot about the fact that i have pcos i just took my hormonal birth control and it just kind of was like okay i'm just going to you know do laser hair removal and see if i can get rid of this facial hair growth that i have you know um, so nothing that to address it head on So fast forward to 2016, when I finally graduated from school, and I got my first job. And now I, after my nine to five job, I had all this time. And I was like, I think it's it's time now to focus on my health. And I decided to start practicing yoga, specifically hot yoga. So in a heated room, vinyasa flow yoga. And I really loved it. I got super into it. And I also did research online to find out how can I lose weight, you know, because everywhere everyone was talking about how you need to lose weight for PCUS, right and how you need to lose weight to be healthy in general, and I had struggled with my weight since I was about 10 years old so my almost my entire life right. Um, so then I, I discovered, of course, uh, the keto diet, which is, which was really popular back then. It was all the rage and uh, I decided to give it a real shot. And so uh, I did the keto diet, I, which basically is cutting out all carbohydrates, all sugar and doing more of a high fat protein, very low carb, almost no carb kind of way of eating. And uh, I lost a lot of weight. I lost over 20 kilos. No doubt I lost a lot of weight. But I did in a very quick amount of time. And my body just kind of, you know, it was it felt good initially to lose that weight. And I felt lighter. And I felt like, oh, wow, this really works. Um, But I after a year or two, I realized that this is not sustainable. You know, I used to I used to see people around me, I would go to social settings and social events. And I'd be like, you know, worrying about what foods had carbs in them and what I couldn't, could and couldn't eat, worrying about every single morsel I put into my mouth. And I realized that through this process of extreme dieting, I had developed a very poor relationship with food uh, and my body. You know, even though I lost a lot of weight, I still didn't feel like it was enough. I still felt like oh, I have more weight to lose, and I still am fat, you know, Um, when that was really not true at all. And it was then when I kind of realized that this is is really not the way to go when it comes to managing PCOS and, and finding that optimal health. Also, because I started to notice that Symptoms started to creep back in. I actually started to gain weight even though I was still practicing the same uh, keto diet, I was still eating the same way. I started to notice weight gain. I started to notice, low low energy levels and also a very high dependency on caffeine so you know external energy for energy because i didn't have any internal energy i had to rely on caffeine and i also noticed severe hair loss because when you restrict so heavily and you kind of just deprive your body of nutrition like one does when they do something like the keto diet um, your body is not going to prioritize hair growth, right? Your body is not going to prioritize ovulation. Uh, It's not gonna prioritize those things that are not necessary for your survival. Your body thinks that you're in a state of fight or flight, like you're in a famine, that's what your body thinks. And so it's going to only prioritize those functions in your body that are for your survival. And I knew that all of this was stressing my body so much. So I decided that enough is enough. And I need to find a different solution. Um, Weight loss, dieting and exercise, medications, I've tried everything, I've tried everything that everyone has told me to try. And I still am in a a, not a good place. So I need to do something different. And that's when I sort of started to learn more about um, the metabolism. And the importance of nourishing your body and getting enough nutrients. And uh, that's when I really started to focus on healing my metabolism because my metabolism had slowed down significantly. When you lose that much weight, you do it so quickly and you do it by extreme calorie restriction, your metabolism slows down to compensate for that. So after learning about, the the metabolism, how to heal it and started to implement all of these different ways of eating and practicing this. I really did start to heal my metabolism. I started to grow my hair back. I started to have energy from within. I don't drink coffee anymore. You know, if I do drink coffee, it'll be, you know, maybe two times a week when I actually go to a cafe. But I, I used to drink, you know, coffee twice a day, sometimes even three times a day. That's how much I relied on it. And now I don't need any external sources of of energy. Energy comes from within me and my body feels safe, comfortable, um, not stressed out. I'm ovulating. I have a regular cycle um, and I was able to grow my hair back um, on my head. So uh, for me, that's a huge win. And that was when I realized that this is what I really want to be teaching women when it comes to managing PCOS. I don't want to be telling women that, you know, you should intermittent fast and and not eat after 8 p.m. or you should cut out carbs, you should cut out sugar, you should cut out gluten, you should cut out dairy. I don't believe that that's the way to manage PCOS and I don't believe that anyone truly wants to do that either way, right? Um, Even if you feel like you might see some benefits from doing some of those things, know that they are temporary because if it's not sustainable for you, which oftentimes it isn't, you're not gonna keep, be able to keep up with it. And you're just gonna get back to the place that you were before, the minute you you, you stop doing those things, right? The, mo- the moment you start eating like a normal person, your symptoms will come back. So um, I really wanna teach women how to uh, eat and live in a way that's, that feels good and that also supports their health and that is sustainable.
1: That's that's an incredible journey, and and you know you know how they say uh, wisdom does not come from reading books, and wisdom does not come from theory. It comes from living a full life, and yeah, this is why okay. your 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 information, everything you teach, and actually your coaching is truly value based. Um, I absolutely um, you know I love how articulate you are about your experiences, which oftentimes people don't get um they may have lived a very experienced life but they don't know how to tell it to others but yeah it's incredible to see how how well you put together an entire course and and you know a different set of plan for people to to like not go through the same thing probably
0: yeah yeah that's that's the goal that's the hope
1: okay yes huh so speaking of pco uh, pcos and diets People with PCOS are often um, advised not to consume gluten dairy. And I have two questions for this. One is, how did these notions come about? Why were these advices recommended in the first place? And two, what's your take on it?
0: Sure. So um, when it comes to gluten and dairy, uh, we'll start with gluten. Uh, there is actually no... Uh, research out there to actually support cutting out gluten for effective PCOS management. So that might be surprising to many people who are listening because it's probably one of the biggest recommendations that are made uh, for anyone dealing with PCOS or even just generally a hormone condition to cut out gluten and dairy from their diet. Um, But there is no evidence to support cutting out gluten for sure. Uh, When it comes to dairy, uh, it's it's what our food system has become and how food is, is produced in the world today that really is the reason why the dairy that we consume is very different from the dairy that, let's say, our grandparents consumed. Um, and because of that, the way that it interacts in our body is very different. And it's different because nowadays uh, cows are fed grain uh, as opposed to fed grass, which is what they're they're supposed to be eating, um, and grains are high in PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. So that is what their milk is made of. And then when you consume that, you internally are uh, ingesting polyunsaturated fatty acids as well. Um, and also it's all about factory farming, right? And, and even hormones are injected and animals are treated very unethically and there's a whole host and list of things. But when it comes to like dairy products in general, let's say things that are made out of dairy. uh, If we talk about like ice cream, right? Ice cream is not made the way that maybe it would have been made 30 years ago. The way that it's made today is filled with again, polyunsaturated fatty acids which are plant oils which are like things like canola oil and then there's also a bunch of additives preservatives um synthetic things anti-caking agents i mean the list goes on right and you can see that if you just turn around the 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 ice cream box that you have and you look at the ingredients and there's like Twenty ingredients over there, if not more. Most of them you can't pronounce, and so now you're consuming this this ice cream. You you don't feel so good after consuming it, and of course you end up blaming the fact that it's made out of dairy. But in actuality, it it's probably not the dairy that is impacting your digestive system, right, or causing you to have whatever symptoms you have from consuming that dairy. So the stance that and the same thing goes for gluten. When it comes to gluten, uh, the way that wheat is grown and farmed today is sprayed with immense amounts of pesticides, right? And pesticides are toxins. They are toxic chemicals that are used to kill insects. So just think about what they are doing inside your body, right? You would not spray that can of RAID in your mouth, right? That you're using to kill whatever mosquitoes or cockroaches are in your house, right? You wouldn't spray it in your mouth, Um, yet they're being sprayed on that wheat and then we're consuming that wheat. And so we're consuming and ingesting those toxins. So my approach to gluten and dairy-free is an educated approach. I don't think of gluten and dairy as demons and that they themselves are causing the issues in our body. In fact, I think of them as very nutritious foods, especially dairy. Dairy has a whole host of vitamins and minerals and protein that is actually bioavailable to us. Bioavailable means that it is easily absorbed by our body. Just because a food contains a bunch of vitamins and minerals, it doesn't necessarily mean that when we consume it, we will um, be able to absorb absorb it. Our digestive system doesn't necessarily absorb it, right? But if something has high bioavailability, that means that our digestive system is easily able to absorb it. And dairy is one of those products, right? So dairy is extremely nutritious. And when you cut that out of your diet, especially if you're in India and you're a vegetarian, you are losing your main source of protein. And, and dairy is a very big part of South Asian cooking, of, of Indian cooking, right? Traditional Indian cooking. And that is because, again, it's very nutritious. And because largely people are vegetarian, um, maybe not everywhere, but in, in mo- uh, many parts of India, um, that's where they get their source of protein from, right? Yeah. Um, and gluten might not in itself be very nutritious, but it is what it what things like breads pastas rotis prantas, whatever breads that we have in in indian cooking they are made out of wheat and so if we cut out gluten altogether we're cutting out even that source of carbohydrates that you know, we should be eating. So, again, the gluten and dairy that we eat today is very different from the gluten and dairy that our grandparents ate, right? And so, the way that it impacts our body is very different from how it impacted their body. And they were able to eat all the things and they were able to be very healthy into their old age, right? Yeah. So, my approach is to take, uh, is to really look at your gluten and dairy products that you consume and look at the quality of them. So when it comes to wheat, look for organic whole wheat, right? Um, If you just turn around your bread and you look at the ingredients, there's going to be like 20 ingredients, which is unnecessary. If you were to buy a sourdough bread uh, that was freshly made, it's most likely going to have four ingredients, which is the whole wheat flour, uh, preferably organic. It's going to have water, yeast, and salt. That's all. And that's what you need. The the preservatives and the additives, they increase the shelf life of the product, but they also add an element of toxins that you're ingesting. So that's something for you to think about, right? Um, And with dairy, you're looking for A2 organic, um, pasteurized, pasteurized or, or not, but you don't want homo- homo- homogenized. So fresh milk is always better. Um, and that's kind of how I found Akshakalpa um, because I was looking for a very a good quality product out there. And I literally just Googled, you know, A2 organic grass fed uh, dairy and Akshakalpa came up. And from then on, I, I have always only had a couple of milk, right? And I actually drink milk every day. I drink uh, milk every day. I have gluten, I have di- carbs, I have sugar. I, I eat all these things every day and I'm able to manage my um, PCOS absolutely fine and really well. So, yeah, so my approach is uh, and my advice to anyone listening who has PCOS, who doesn't want to cut out gluten and dairy who wants to be able to just eat the food that's made at home and to eat with their families, um, focus on the quality versus just cutting out these foods from your diet entirely, especially when you live in a place like India where accessibility to gluten and dairy free products is not that prevalent it's not that accessible and on top of that those that are accessible are also actually they have a whole bunch of extra ingredients that we don't need to be putting in our body they're highly processed so i just would say no to that and i would say eat the real food but eat a really good quality version of that food
1: you said that incredibly well and and also as a person living in india and you 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 make the decision to cut out dairy and gluten from your diet Would make you incredibly lonely. You wouldn't be able to go out with your friends. You wouldn't be able to eat with your family. You wouldn't, and and coming up with recipes that fit your Indian lifestyle is fairly hard. So oh yeah
0: totally yeah
1: no one talks about how lonely it can get. So yeah and and I read this somewhere which said when you demonize a particular ingredient or a particular choice of food food groups, um it it creates a very uneducated um, loop of choices, because you don't really know what you're eliminating, you just know, you just know the first thing to what you want to eliminate, but you don't really right. know what you're actually eliminating. So you said that True. incredibly well, that quality
0: Thank you. matters. And And I just want to add that People do see benefits from cutting out gluten and dairy, but that is not because you're cutting out the gluten and dairy, right? It's because you're cutting out all the stuff that comes with the gluten and dairy. You're cutting out all of those additives, all of those PUFAs, all of those preservatives that are in the foods that contain gluten and dairy that you're no longer eating, all of the hormones in the dairy uh, that you're eating, all of the, you know, all of that is what you're cutting out. And that's why you feel better. It's not because you're cutting out the nutritious dairy or the carb source. So I'm not going to deny that people feel better, but there's a reason that you do. Right. And the reason is it's not because of those things. It's because of the additives and all of the, the junk that's in those foods that are actually what is the problem and what's making you feel ill.
1: Yeah. And there were even uh, several people's anecdotes, which with, with which they said, uh when I go to the when I go to European countries I eat bread constantly and we're just eating cheese and bread constantly we're not gaining weight and and like probably why it's because you're probably eating the simplest form of bread and cheese without preservatives and all of that that's totally yeah European people totally yeah
0: in Europe the quality of dairy and uh, gluten products is absolutely impeccable, and that's often why the bread over there is really hard because it's not got those preservatives and those additives to make it super soft. And but it's it, at the end of the day, it still is bread, and they love eating it. And and it's and you still eat it, you know, when you eat that bread, um, and you're still eating all the desserts and the ice cream and the you're having all the the gelato, whatever it is, and you don't feel the way that you do when you have those. Things at home, and the reason for that is because of the quality, right? Mm-hmm. And actually, the way that pasta is truly made, like true pasta, is made out of egg yolks and wheat. Yeah. That is it, two ingredients. That is how pasta is made. And then bread is just made again with whole wheat, uh, yeast, sugar—not uh, sugar, but maybe sugar, salt, and water. That's it. Yeah. Um, and and that's the kind of food you're going to get when you're in Europe. They make everything fresh, right? Um, but yeah.